this, uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to begin a long series on the book of Galatians. And uh, I'm not always going to be in Galatians. Did I forget something? Oh, you need my sermon notes? Oh, I need my sermon notes. These are old ones. I updated this. That's fine. Um, uh, and I, I figured I just went out and grabbed a graphic. <clears throat> I've been wanting to teach through this. Uh, those of you who are here, I don't know, about five years ago, know that I started this book and then became president of the UMJC. My life changed. So I'm going to finish this book. Yeah, Esther's laughing. And uh, I put this graphic because I thought that it was the one graphic I found from that didn't have a cross in it, although it kind of does. Uh, but this is a very classic way that Christians understand the book. And I'm using the word Christians, meaning it's really the entire Christian community, whether evangelicals or Catholics or Orthodox. Everybody basically views it as a book of grace versus law. <clears throat> and what I really want to try and do over the course of probably several months, if not maybe a year, is to uh, challenge that. I don't think that's what the book is about really at all. The book is all about the gospel. The book is about the gospel. That's why the book was written. I'm not going to go into a long discussion of the history of the book today because David Randall would hate that, okay? But, but I'm just picking on him. He's going on vacation, but I will pray for them. They're going away. David's going away today, is that correct? But Ariel has to join him tomorrow. She's got one more thing she has to do. Is that correct? Monday, Monday. So I've been praying for them because they need a break. You're going to get two weeks off and do nothing. Right? That's a beautiful thing. That's good. What? Six weeks off. Whatever. Oh, yeah, you have cumulative. Whatever. Just keep them in prayer. The, uh, this book was written approximately 47 CE, AD, CE, 47. And it, it came out of Paul's first journey into what is today modern Turkey. So I'll kind of unpack this over a couple of weeks because some of you will, your eyes will glass over if I do it all at once. But I want to mention that this book is the very first book written in the New Testament. All right? What we know is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John were not written yet. Okay? Uh, just so you know, in terms of Jewish thought, Jews wrote. I mean, there's all kinds of sort of pivotal documents, all kinds of documents the Jewish community wrote. Just go look up deadseascrolls.com and you'll see all this stuff Jews wrote. But uh, generally, a lot of stuff uh, was written slowly over time. Why? You just couldn't go to Office Depot or Walgreens and buy a big old thick packet of, of writing materials. It didn't exist. Very expensive. So people tended to memorize. And what they tended to write were, were, uh, were sayings and, and statements and make all kinds of coded approaches to, to memorizing the important words of people. Yeshua's teachings were not immediately written down, but they were immediately memorized in some manner. And then some might have been written down. All right? But I'm, I'm saying that to help you understand that in that era, people didn't write all that often. It was too expensive for the common man to write a lot of stuff. Things were written down very selectively, and then they were saved very carefully. We understand that. Just think about Torah scrolls, okay? Paul, Shaul, wrote the book of Galatians. 
because he had gone up into this area, which is, again, modern-day Turkey, right in the middle of the, of the area, Galicia. Not the Galicia we all come from in Middle Europe, but this is a different area. And, uh, and he had preached to them a message of how people come into right relationship with God by faith. The message of this Bessel-Ra, this good news, was corrupted. People began to add expectation and confuse the message. And so the purpose of the book of Galatians is not a battle between grace and law. That's not what it's about. It's a book about what it means to come into right relationship with God. God is gracious. We've talked about compassion. Matt did a great job in the dross talking about God's compassion. We spoke a lot today in the liturgy about the righteousness of God and the amazing uh, salvation that God has provided us. And what I want to try and emphasize through the next whatever in terms of this study in Galatians is this truth. God has blessed us with his unlimited grace, which brings us the security of his peace. That's an important statement. God has unlimited grace. Maybe you're out there and you're thinking, I have sinned too much. I was meeting with a Jewish kid, who a couple of you know, and uh, he's reading like, I mean, he's reading the New Testament like I wish everybody would read the New Testament. He's read through the New Testament twice in probably what, maybe like three months or something? That's pretty good, reading like crazy. So I'm sitting down eating breakfast with him, and I ask him, I said, so, what do you believe about Yeshua? Oh, yeah, I believe Yeshua. He came to he died for sin. This is this good news. I said, so when you die, are you going to spend eternity with God? He says, no, I'm going to go straight to hell. <laughs> I said, why? Because I'm bad. I said, well, let me explain some good news to you, okay? Took him through John 3.16, just a real simple thing. Here's a guy who's read the text, but he hasn't got the core of the text, which is that we come into right relationship with God through our faith in Messiah Yeshua's atonement. God has grace that is unlimited, regardless of your sin, regardless of my sin, but it requires that we accept Yeshua's atonement and understand that truth. And if we do, we have security. We have security. God brings us close, and he holds on to us. And I decided to use this particular symbol because the other day the computer was acting hinky, and I thought for sure we lost all our data called Dell. They solved it in two hours. No problem. All right? This, of course, for those of you who notice, is a shield, a security shield, which is checked off. And hopefully every one of you have that symbol on your own computers. All right, now, we're going to show a little video, and I want to show you the contrast, a little bit of a different perspective on salvation. Only go to uh, minute 212, I think it is, or 220. February 2013, Allahabad, India. Over the next 55 days, nearly 100 million people will come here to the great Kum Mela. This incredible and awe-inspiring celebration of the world's oldest religion happens every 12 years at the place where Hindus believe two sacred rivers meet. No better place to pray than the Ganges. Yeah. Can't really get much more religious than that. Yeah. For Hindus, this is one of their most important festivals, and it happens at this holy site. 
at the time of the Kumbh Mela, at the point of the confluence of the rivers, a space opens up between this world and the spiritual. Hindus come to cleanse themselves in the sacred waters of the river Ganges, to pray and emerge purified and renewed. There's something very powerful about this place. There's an energy. Follow British pilgrims as they embark on a once-in-a-lifetime spiritual journey. No, two, two twenty or two. Yeah. I'm hoping that I will go there and I will be absorbed in this festival and see how other people convey Hinduism, how they practice it. I really want to go to Kung because, as a Hindu, I feel I want to experience the spiritual aspects of my religion. I'm looking to be inspired to maybe leave with some sort of permanent change in my life. A journey that will take them into the heart of Hinduism, its philosophy, its beliefs, its traditions. We're talking about passing things down thousands and thousands of years. A journey that will culminate in the largest gathering of humans in one place ever. Interesting. Um, I first heard about this in a different study. I mean, Hinduism is, for us as Jews, it's about as far as way you can possibly get. I think that's why there's so many uh, Jews that have gotten into New Age stuff and, you know, the Hare Krishna thing and all that stuff, especially back in the 70s or whatever. But because I couldn't show you too many videos. That was about the best video I could show you because this, this, this uh, festival is all about... Um, you know, trying to connect with the divine, and a lot of it has to do with, with hurting yourself and exposing yourself. If you didn't look too close, and I hope you didn't look too close, there was a lot of nudity, because people will literally walk around in total nakedness, besides the powders and things. It's all about connecting with the divine, because their fundamental belief is, I must do in order to connect with the divine. They do not understand the idea of a God who does for them. They don't have an understanding that God has provided his righteousness. They have an understanding alone that they need to acquire God and God's righteousness under their own action. And uh, it's 100 million people will show up. Beats the Muslims at Mecca. 100 million people will go through that. God has worked out on mankind's behalf to provide his righteousness for those who will personally place their faith in Messiah Yeshua alone. God will provide. God has provided if people will simply believe. What I want to do this morning is take us to the uh, book of Romans, chapter 4. Romans 4. Romans 4. <clears throat> And uh, I'm doing this as a setup uh, before we get into the book of Galatians because I want to make sure it's very clear for every one of us that we have a gospel message that is unlike anything else, all right? 
people seeking to come into relationship with God by their actions, that's a universal norm. Okay? That's a universal norm. That's within the Jewish community. That is, in reality, Jewish thought. The whole idea of merit and acquiring merit that brings us into relationship with God. Uh, Hinduism, as we see, is just flat out, you know, the whole idea of exercising religious practice to, to bring us into relationship with God. Islam has a series of practices necessary. I mean, all these different religious groups, even within people that profess faith in Jesus, the whole idea in Catholicism in it, of indulgences and actions, and all this is, is a religious effort to bring oneself into relationship with God instead of God working to bring himself into relationship with us. So let's look at Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. We're going to start there. It's page 1075. You guys have open texts in front? Page 1075. I decided not to put the text up here because I would rather encourage people to open their own Bibles, okay? Uh, Romans 4, verses 1 through 4. It says, What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was set right by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, the pay is not credited as a gift, but as what is due. Okay, so we're going to stop there. I want to just point out a couple of things. Abraham had a discovery. It goes all the way back in the Genesis chapter 15. I think Genesis 15 is the point where Abraham becomes a believer. Because of the text that's used and everything that's there, it's an amazing text. Abraham knew God. He knew about God. Whether the tradition about the idol shop is any validity whatsoever, we know that Abraham knew God. Lech lecha. Abraham, get up and go to a land that I will show you. Why was Abraham willing to do it? Because he knew God. Even, even uh, uh, his uh, Laban, his, his uh, nephew, uh, or his great nephew, knew, in essence, God. You know, the Lord God was a known person in this time. Whether or not people would follow him is a whole other thing. So Abraham knew God. And there was a couple of points that became clear. God himself provides righteousness. Genesis 15, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. And so placing his faith in the Lord made him a tzaddik, a righteous one. Abraham discovered this. Now, if we think that we must work, if we think that by reading our scriptures and showing up for services that God owes me righteousness, then we have a problem. We have a broken understanding of what the good news, the Bessalah is. Why is it a false understanding? Because it's man-dependent. Man-dependent. Before as a believer in Yeshua, there was a period of time, so if I think back into my life, uh, when I was 12 years of age, I was wondering about what, it would be, what would be required of me. How much would I have to do to know that I could come into right relationship with God? And at that particular time, nobody gave me any good answers, so I became an, an atheist. And, of course, that's illogical to my mind. At least I became an agnostic. By the time I was 13, 14 years of age, I decided God is unknowable because coming into relationship with God was impossible. 
until somebody came into relationship with God on their own, and I saw such a change in their life, I asked them, so what's different about you? And I discovered that it's not about me, it's about him. It's about what he does. And that unlocked for me an understanding of the good news. Being made righteous does not come from Torah observance. First couple of chapters in Romans and some of what we're going to see in the book of Galatians is this issue. The idea that we must do the Torah. Do you not understand? It was absolutely never part of the Torah's understanding that it has to be kept for righteousness sake. You realize that? The Torah is given as a covenant between God and Israel. A covenant that they broke right at the golden calf period. And if you want to count all the complaining and the murmuring and all the clutching, they constantly broke it again and again. No one can keep the Torah for salvation. Not possible. Never was possible. Wasn't even part of the plan. Became part of a misunderstanding that comes down to our age. You cannot come into relationship with God simply by doing the instructions of the Scripture. That's not possible. Being made righteous doesn't come from our actions at all. Being made righteous does not come because you help little old ladies across the street or because you, you uh, make sure you sharpen all the pencils in the office or you shovel your neighbor's snow. These actions will not make you righteous. These are good things to do, but they will not make you righteous. False understandings. Why? Because it's all man-dependent. It's all man-dependent. You know, I remember davening years ago. One of the things, reasons I stopped going to this one minion. This guy, young man, probably must have been about 29, 30 years of age. Maybe a little bit younger, because I was about 34 years of age at the time. And, uh, and I never saw him except for the period of awe uh, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And he came in specifically because... His understanding, according to Jewish tradition, is if I daven the days of odds, as if I've daven all year long. <laughs> this is the problem with a man-dependent faith. If it's all about you and it's all about me and it's by our actions that we can somehow or another acquire righteousness, we're going to fail because our ideas of how we acquire that are going to be different. There's nobody here, at least that I know of, that would be willing to walk naked to go bathe into the sacred rivers of the Skokie Slough. Right? I'll bet you there might be a person in Skokie who might actually think that maybe that brings righteousness. Who knows? Not much difference, by the way, between the waters here and the waters in the Ganges. Okay, They don't have a good sewer system in India in that area. But you understand the fallacy? If acquiring righteousness comes by us doing good who's the arbiter of what exactly that means now we're going to look at a video some of you will really appreciate this video oh before you do the video though let me read something <clears throat> a company store anybody know what a company store is company store is a retail store selling a limited range of food, clothing, and daily necessities to the employees of a company. It is typical of a company town in a remote area where virtually everyone is employed by one firm, such as a coal mine. Think West Virginia. 
think Arizona. We were just in Arizona. Glow of Arizona. It's one big mineral manufacturing town. Okay? In a company town, the housing is owned by the company. But there may be independent stores there or nearby. But usually they're not. The company store typically accepts script are non-cash vouchers issued by the company in advance of weekly cash payments and gives credit to the employees before payday. Company stores have had a reputation as model, uh, monopolistic institutions, meaning they control the town and all that you can buy there. Funneling workers' incomes back to the owners of the company. Company stores often faced little or no competition and prices were therefore not competitive allowing purchases on credit enforced a kind of debt slavery, obligating employees to remain with the company until the debt was cleared. Too often, workers literally worked themselves to death into impossible debt through their company store. Not a really, not a really happy picture. Well, somebody decided to make a video that I think helps capture this, and I think you will enjoy it. And then I'll make the connecting point. Kind of hoping just... Some people say a man is made out of mud. A poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood and skin and bone A mind that's weak and a back that's strong You load 16 tons and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store up my shovel and I walked to the mine. I loaded 16 tons of number nine coal and a straw ball said, well, I bless my soul. You know, 16 tons and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. company store If you see me coming better step aside A lot of men didn't and a lot of men died One fist of iron and the other of steel If the right one don't get you then the left one will You load 16 tons and what do you get Another day older and St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store
see if I can get the Folsom Prison one too. Hey, how many of you really connected the points? You know, if you are working to earn your salvation, you know what? You're actually indebting yourself. You're indebting yourself. Whereas if we seek God's righteousness, we are free. Take a look at uh, verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5. Now to the one who works, the pay is not credited as a gift, but as what is due. That's debt. Debt. But to the one who does not work, but trusts in him who justifies the ungodly, his trust is credited as righteousness. Guy can't go to heaven at the end of the song because he owes so much to the company's store. Now, fundamentally, people are hoping by earning their salvation that God will accept them. Acquiring righteousness by good deeds that God will accept them. But in the end, what they've done is they've acquired nothing but sin. Unforgiven sin. And their relationship with God will be blocked for eternity. Being made righteous comes only by God's righteous action. We must understand that. We must really appreciate this amazing gift that God has given us. We come into right relationship with God by faith and are made righteous because of that. Now, if God is doing a work, I owe him. Now, that's an interesting phrase. It's a little flip. If I work, God owes me. God did the work, I owe him. This is what I call the true understanding. Why? Because it's God-dependent. That's what's, again, fascinating. There's so many different texts we can look at, but we don't have time. I've got to stop. But to think about the fact that not only will God provide his righteousness, but if a person by faith comes into relationship with God in a moment, the moment you chose, I believe, I accept, I admit my sin, I accept that Yeshua provided atonement for my sin, and I, I want to live my life for God. The moment you made that decision, you're made righteous before the Lord. God grants you his righteousness. And on top of that, he keeps you and he holds you. He keeps you close, even if when sometimes you want to run away. Last night, Isaiah was running all over the joint here, a little kid. Uh, and, he, you know, it's like, you know. But you know what's funny is his mother was following him around. And later on, his dad was... Matthew was in the nursery saying, I'm just holding on to him because he's making too much noise. You know? God does that. He holds on to us, even if we make too much noise. Remember that the scriptures only tell us what righteous living is supposed to look like. It does not make us righteous. The scriptures tell us what righteous living looks like. If your life is not consistent with what the scripture says a righteous life should be, then make change. Change. That's repentance, shuva. Turn from what you've been doing and do something consistent with the text. One of the reasons I encourage everybody to read the Bible is because if you read the text, you'll understand what righteous living looks like. And you'll change, God willing. Remember that righteousness fundamentally only comes from God, though. Don't read a text. Uh, don't think that reading your Bible will make God happy with you other than the fact that he's pleased that as his child, you are doing the things he expects. Does that make sense? You know, Matthew and Rachel will never stop being my children. And I have always had high expectations for them. 
even if they're not always doing things I'd like them to do, and if they don't meet my expectations in some way, but you're not always fair and kind, okay, they will never stop being my children. God has expectations for you, but he only has expectations for you because you've been made righteous through your faith in Yeshua. You are God's children. God doesn't have expectations for those who do not belong to him. So, our discovery. Have you been personally blessed by God's righteousness? Have you been personally blessed by God's righteousness? The blessing of complete forgiveness of sin, the blessing of assured relationship with God. Those are the two blessings I'm really talking about today. So, if not, if this is something that is totally foreign to you, then receive today God's righteousness through your personal faith in the Messiah Yeshua. Today, believe. Believe in Yeshua's righteousness. Believe in Yeshua's atonement. Admit your sin. Believe in, in Yeshua's atonement. And, and, and commit your way to the Lord. Desire his righteousness simply by accepting by faith alone. And if that's a, something you want to talk about, talk with me after the message. But if you do, then I guess the question would be, how committedly are you living on God's righteousness through your life? And that really is, how are you living up then to God's expectation? How are you living up to his expectation for your life? Let's go ahead and uh, close in a word of prayer. We're going to finish in a final song. God, we thank you so much for the fact that you have indeed provided for us righteousness. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to do stuff to get it. But by simple faith in Yeshua's atonement, you have provided for us forgiveness for our sins. And more importantly, really, God, you have declared us righteous in our Messiah, Yeshua. I thank you, God, for that amazing gift. And I do pray that each one of us this morning, God, would believe in that precious truth. So, God, I pray that we also would live up to your expectations as you are a perfect Father who cares for us and knows what's best for us. And I pray, God, that you give us the strength we need through your Spirit to live up to your expectations so that we might be indeed your people in this world as a testimony of your truth. We pray all this in Yeshua's name.